Dr. Kylie, I'm crying as I write this message to you. My husband and I have been trying to get pregnant for two and a half years. A friend told me about your podcast, and since my vitamin D was 34 on my labs, I started your protocol on my own. I had my husband start it too. I took a test yesterday that said I was pregnant. I didn't believe it. So I took two more this morning. Three for three. I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing. I tell as many people as I can about this podcast. Keep doing it. You're changing lives. Thanks for changing mine. Courtney. I hope you've learned as much as I have from this season, previous seasons, and this episode. If you've enjoyed it, the best compliment I can receive is a review. In fact, leave a review and I'll thank you for it. Go to drkylieburton.com backslash crack your thyroid code and get the 60-minute thyroid workshop on me. I'm also in need of your help. The concluding episode in season three will be number 100. My goal is to hit 100,000 downloads before the year is over too. To help get there and spread the message that normal labs really can provide answers, healing, and hope, I'm doing a drawing. Share any episode of the podcast on your social media, tag me in it, and you'll be placed inside the drawing. There will be gift cards with the grand prize being my three-month Detox Done Right kit. We will perform the drawing as soon as we hit the 100,000 downloads. Spread the message of healing beyond the diagnosis. Have you ever wanted me to create a personalized supplement plan for you? What if through your normal labs, the labs you already have, you got answers you've spent hours, even days searching Google for? I'd love to help you do that. Go to drkylieburton.com backslash book and let's get started. This opportunity will be gone forever after Thanksgiving. Yep, it will no longer be available after November 25th. Give yourself an early Christmas present or even gift it to a loved one. Walk through the doors of opportunity before they close on November 25th, right here. DrKylieBurton.com backslash book, B-O-O-K. Let's celebrate your success next. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. Today, we're going to talk about sex. Why? Because it's a hot topic. We all need to talk about it. And we all need to learn from a certified sex therapist who's going to join with us today. Jessa Zimmerman is the creator of the Intimacy with Ease method. If you want to learn more about it, go to intimacywithease.com backslash masterclass for her free training. Jessa, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you specialize in this and that we were able to connect. Me too. Me too. So many times I hear women struggling with libido and struggling with sex, and it's a big part of a relationship. Yes, it is. (laughs) So I'm so excited for you to teach us how to have intimacy with ease. Where should we begin? (laughs) Where should we begin? I mean, it's such a big topic, right? I can almost start anywhere, but I think maybe the first point I want to make is that a lot of people struggle with sex. I think we have a myth you know, this thing we get sold, (laughs) this idea that sex is supposed to just happen naturally, that it shouldn't take any work, that it shouldn't take any communication, that if we're with the right person, it should just happen. And that just sets us up to feel horrible when our sex life is a struggle. But for a lot of people, I mean, I would almost say it's inevitable that a couple, if they're together a long time, it's going to hit struggles at some point. 
It's going to happen to everybody. So you've got to understand that you're not broken. Sex is complicated. There's lots of stuff that can throw sort of a wrench in the works. I know in the culture that I'm in, I'm in the Utah culture where it's LDS predominant. And part of that culture is you don't have sex till you're married. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times couples will get married at a very young age, 19, 20, 21, early 20s. Like it's very common. And that's a big struggle because we have this idea in our minds of what it's going to be like. And it's not, and it hurts and it's messy and some things that we don't talk about. Well, it shouldn't hurt. Actually, pain is really, really common, but it shouldn't hurt. We shouldn't just accept like, oh, it hurts. That's that's fine. It, yeah. it shouldn't. And actually getting to the point of we're just going to use terms freely because we need to getting to the point of orgasm and not mm-hmm. and how difficult it can be for women, but how it shouldn't be. And I'll try to keep this as not TMI as possible. In fact, (laughs) in my relationship, but just seeing what I see with my friends and with the culture that I'm in, it's a big, big time struggle, whether you're first in marriage, whether you're 10 years into marriage, whether you're hitting menopause and going through that struggle. I hear so many people talking about vaginal dryness and how they just, they don't want to do that because of many factors So yeah, let's, how do we make this easy? Well, I mean, you're listing the tip of the iceberg in terms of the complications that people have at in having children, you know, stresses, illnesses, aging, you know, all kinds of things kind of get in the way of either sexual functioning or sexual desire. And so making it easy in simplest form is about eradicating all these expectations we have about how it's supposed to go and working with what is. You know, sometimes there are medical treatments that are appropriate for people. They have something going on. We should, they should actually be seeing a physician working on resolving the sexual dysfunction or the pain or whatever it is. But for a lot of the time, it's about accepting what is and working with the pieces you've got, <laughs> getting rid of this idea of it needs to be like it used to be, or it needs to be like I see it in the movies, or it needs to be like this fantasy I've got in my head. And instead, oh my gosh, it's like the movies are culprit. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Lots of culprits. Right. Like, why right. can't I have my clothes fall off as cool as her clothes fall? Well, yeah. Or every, everything you see on TV and the movies is either, well, I guess like sex not working at all, or wow, we're both just having intercourse and both having orgasms, which is not generally what happens. So, you know, we get these expectations and they really set us up to feel like we're failing. If that's what we think is supposed to happen, that's what we're aiming for. It's like we're missing out on all the different ways we could enjoy each other. And let's just realize, like, how does my body work? How does your body work? Let's figure it out together. And then let's make the best sex life we can based on what we've got, you know? Yeah. So let's get into, as we're talking about expectations, destroy one of them and give us a reality of what we should be expected and what Yeah, I mean, there's, okay, there's so many, but let me start with this one because it's a really big one. One of the expectations is that we're supposed to actually want to have sex. We're supposed to feel desire spontaneously. We should be thinking about it. We should be wanting it. I should have this appetite. I should have this libido. And some people are like that. And some people are like that occasionally, you know, but there's also another way to experience desire, which I call reactive desire. It's what Emily Nagoski calls responsive desire, which is like, wow, it's the last thing on my mind. I'm not thinking about sex. I'm not in the mood. But if we started 
if I got what I needed, if I got the time I needed, the touch I needed, we're in a good place, you know, my body starts to wake up, I start to get turned on. Well, now I want sex. And that's how a lot of people operate. The older we get, the longer we're with the same person with other kinds of stresses and distractions and obligations. And that's not broken. So I have people like come to my therapy practice, right? And they'll tell me, if it were up to me, I could go my whole life without sex and be just fine. They have zero proactive desire. But when I describe reactive desire to them, they say, oh, well, yeah, that happens. Like they don't, it doesn't count somehow, you know, but it's, it's valid. It's a way lots and lots of people experience desire. So you have to accommodate that, right? You got to be willing to start. You got to create these opportunities. You got to get used to starting from zero and seeing what you can do to get the engine to turn over. And then it's got to be okay if it doesn't, because it's not like a, a guarantee. Yeah. Just taking notes here. So our first step to make it easy would be to just destroy those wrong expectations yep. and to re- replace them with reality. Yes. And one of those is I'm not just going to feel the desire all the time. Yeah. Or maybe even ever. Literally, there are people that never feel that kind of proactive desire, but that doesn't mean that they can't get into it, you know, and find some desire and find a way to actually get turned on and want sex. So it's about, you know, both people really giving permission for that, allowing that, entering in sort of in a different way, a slower start, what's it take, and being open to maybe it won't work, maybe or not work, because it's never a failure. <laughs> but You know, maybe it'll turn into sexual desire, maybe it won't, can we just enjoy whatever we're doing, no matter what happens? Yeah, cool. I have like so many things. I'm just like, I don't want to share everything about my relationship, (laughs) (laughs) which is good. I'm I'm not going to complain. It's just good. I I just use specific stories and I don't think people want to know that. So, okay. I love this idea of destroying the wrong expectations. What is another one? Well, another one is that sex shouldn't take any work or effort. (laughs) If we're with the right person, it should just work. Well, I'm just thinking of nobody told me that it's work. Yeah. And it's tiring. Yeah. And your legs can hurt. And it's messy. <laughs> no yeah. one told me that. Right, right. So bust it out. It's yeah, work. I mean it's it's physical work, right? It takes physical exertion of some sort. You gotta put some effort out, but it also just takes some, you know, when you have these struggles in your sex life or these things that happen, you get a diagnosis, or even just getting older, we're all gonna do that, right? Or children, or whatever it is, you kind of gotta roll up your sleeves and get into it and recreate your sex life. It's not like it's just going to roll along if it worked well when you were 20, 21. It doesn't mean it's just going to roll along like that without any effort. It's not true that if you're with the right person, this is all just going to happen naturally. Things complicate it, things change it, and you have to adapt. And that takes work. That takes talking about it. That takes getting creative, maybe getting some help, either medically or through a sex therapist, you know, but kind of reinventing your sex life based on the current situation. What do you find is the biggest obstacles? That throw a wrench in the works? Yeah. Aging is one of them, including menopause, but men have their own stuff, right? Sexual functioning changes as we age. Having children, absolutely. There's some research, I can't remember what it was, but it talked about marital satisfaction goes down with children and it really doesn't come back up until they've left. I mean, you know, it's a reality. Having kids is hard. And it's a lot of work and exhaustion and it changes your focus, you know, pain with sex or any sort of physical, you know, whether you've got an illness or you've got some other condition that's causing pain, 
struggling with desire discrepancy? Because here's another myth, you know, it's like we don't understand that there's always one person who's more interested in sex than the other. That's universal over, at least over time. And so that's normal, but people struggle with that. Somebody takes it as rejection. The other person feels guilty. Like that's going to throw a wrench in things. Amen. Not feeling that desire is one, you know, I mean, there's just so many, right? If your parents are sick or you've got financial trouble, I mean, you just think about the whole world around you, any sort of stresses or other responsibilities can creep in too. Yeah. And another one with they're trying to get pregnant and it's not happening. Yep. Now it's, now it's yeah, a even, job. Uh, you're right. Exactly. So sex becomes a little bit of a, like a science experiment or this pressured thing, or we got to perform now because the stick says we got to go or, you know. Yeah. When I'm working with infertility and I struggled, when I just got into this, my mentor at the time was like, sometimes the best thing is to just say, stop having sex and make love. Yeah. I take the job out of it. Right. Right. It's really important. Right. And don't just have sex that one time of the month and like really put some effort into making sure that you are connecting. I mean, in my mind, sex is not about what you do with body parts. It's not about having an orgasm, although those are nice to be able to have if you want one. It is about sharing pleasure and connection in whatever form. And so if you're, you know, if you're having sex in this very pragmatic, let's try to get pregnant way, you might be totally ignoring pleasure and connection. <laughs> so yeah, go back to making love. Step number one, destroy wrong expectations. Where should we go next? What would be step number two in your eyes? All right, so there's creating this whole paradigm, right? And this is sort of the first step of the method is understanding how sex and sexual desire really work. So take apart all those myths and expectations. You gotta be able to talk to your partner about it. You gotta be able to approach this like a win-win. We're looking for a sex life that really works for both people. Not, you need to show up and have sex with me more because I want more sex, right? Like that is just not going to be sustainable or enduring. We got to figure out how are the two of us going to work together as a team to create a sex life we both want and can feel excited about. And that involves some flexibility, you know, and maybe changing the kind of goals that we had. And it's not like every time we have sex, we've got to go all the way through intercourse and orgasm. There's a pass fail to that. So how can we treat sex a little bit more open-ended and free form? And there's lots of ways to enjoy this together. And we're really committed to making sure we're both getting our needs met. Part of that too, is that we don't have to want the same thing out of sex. Like if one person's super aroused and turned on, they might want an orgasm. Cool. Maybe the other person isn't there that time. They might just want to be held or want a massage or back scratch. You know, that's okay. Like how can we engage in different ways where we each get something out of it? Communication is key. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's hard for a lot of couples to talk about sex. It's one of the most difficult conversations to have, especially yeah. if you're struggling because, you know, sex and finances. Like, yeah, exactly. Those are the big and kids parenting and in-laws. Actually, that's what we call the big four in uh, couples counseling. So, but it's, you know, it's hard. Most people didn't grow up having conversations about sex. It's not something that's really talked about in the culture unless it's like super sexualized. You know, in some ways our culture is so sexified, right? But then it's also prudish. So people don't know how to have these conversations. And often if they've tried to talk about it, it's been discouraging or combative or defensive or somebody feels bad and breaks down and feels guilty and somebody feels rejected. Or I mean, there's all this negativity around it instead of like, wow, let's try to solve this as a team. And we both want, you know, our relationship to be as good as possible. Do you find the discrepancies in male versus female, just our regular natural way we were God designed? 
Well, I mean, yes and no. You would think it's like, oh, it's always the main, like in a heterosexual relationship, because these same issues show up in same sex relationships. So it's not just gender based, but even in heterosexual relationships, in my sex therapy practice, probably half the time it's the woman that has the higher sex drive, it has a higher desire partner. So these are people that are seeking help, but it's not just that gender based. So men have more testosterone. So in some ways, yeah, they're kind of built to have a higher sex drive, but there are a lot of things that complicate this for men too. So sometimes it's the women who are really wanting more sex and more connection. And it's the guy who's avoiding it or feeling pressured about it or has all this performance anxiety or all this pressure or all this sense of expectation. When you say performance anxiety, I just immediately think of specific individuals and it's true on both sides. Yes. So how do you help them in those scenarios from a guy standpoint? Because I know, I know it's happening. Yeah, it absolutely happens. There's so much pressure. Again, part of it is cultural on men to want sex, to be ready to go at a moment's notice, you know, to have an erection, to perform, to last longer, to bring their partner to orgasm, whatever it is, all these ideas and pressure on them to be sort of the competent one or the driver or something. And that is a heck of a lot to live up to. That is a lot of pressure. I think we're each responsible for our own pleasure. It's not the guy's job to get their partner off or please them or something, right? You just, your only job is to be a willing participant with your partner. And if sex is dependent on a particular thing, like an erection, that's going to be a problem because erections don't happen hundred percent of the time, certainly not as people get older. So it's like, we really have to detach from this preconceived idea about what counts as sex, how is it supposed to go, who's doing what, so that there isn't this performance anxiety. There is no performance. It's like you show, you show up, you share pleasure and connection, you enjoy whatever pieces you've got that day. I mean, the key message is you literally can't fail at sex. Once you wrap your mind around this paradigm of it, you can't fail. Doesn't matter if you can come or not. Doesn't matter if you can have an erection. Doesn't matter if you can have penetrative sex. Keep going. I like Well, this. okay. The other part of this, so changing that paradigm, but it's also, well, I guess what I'll say is it's just so important to be talking to both people about this because part of what exacerbates the pressure on a guy, you know, in this situation is how is her partner reacting or historically how have partners reacted? Because sometimes you lose your erection and then your girlfriend or your wife thinks it's about them and they start crying and, oh, you don't find me attracted or they feel rejected. I mean, that just adds on the burden. Like, holy cow, now I really got to show up and perform so they'll feel okay about themselves, right? Like it just, you can feel how heavy this gets. So both people really have to break this thinking and realize and bodies break, are break fickle. Barriers. Yeah, bodies are fickle. Sometimes they do things, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. We got to get rid of this goal orientation. I know there are listeners who have reached out with ED and that's a big concern. Do you have mm -hmm. recommended treatments for that? Well, I mean, if it's true ED, if it's not performance anxiety, because sometimes, you know, people are struggling with erections out of the sense of pressure and anxiety. So there's not a medical condition going on. It's psychological and that's totally real, you know, but this is where you got to take the pressure off and the expectations off and not even need an erection. Let's just enjoy each other. And the pressure comes off needing one and then often the erection returns. But in true ED, where there's some sort of medical or physical reason going on, whether it's blood flow or nerve function, hormones, whatever it is, that's a medical 
treatment that's needed, right? So that's not in a sex therapy wheelhouse, that's in a physician's wheelhouse. So trying to figure out what's going on and treat that as best as possible. But in the meantime, how can you enjoy your sex life with what you've got? Don't take sex off the table. We can't do anything until the erection's working again. It's like, no, we have this whole ability to enjoy each other and share things and keep being sexually intimate and just don't need the erection for now. I like that. Don't just say it has to be pushed on hold. No, not at all. It's like have sex. It doesn't need an erection. Yeah. And enjoy that. Once you take that pressure off and then what I'll say to clients, no matter what their physical sexual dysfunction is, we've got this medical track where hopefully you're trying to resolve the sexual dysfunction. Hopefully it's treatable. And we come out at the end of that and everything's working the way you want it to work. (laughs) In the meantime, what we're going to do in sex therapy is focus on creating the best sex life you can have with what you have now. And that's what we're going to focus on and enjoy that and relax. And it's lovely. And so if the physical functioning doesn't come back, it's okay. So for instance, somebody who's had their prostatectomy, prostate out or something, you know, may never have an erection again. That doesn't mean they can't have sex. And I think that's a big myth. Oh, well, I have this, so I can't do that kind of thing. And it's with that with any diagnosis. Well, I have this, so I can't do that. And it's always right. a barrier I have. I'm labeled with this issue. And then they think I'm broken. My body's betrayed me. When in reality, you're human. You're going to experience these things. Right. And to work through them, but then communicate those struggles, both with the anxiety part and the physical part. Yeah. It makes me think of a, a couple I worked with that were older and they came in and they, because sex had worked for them all their life together, they have, you know, intercourse. That's what they thought of as sex. As long as that was working, they never questioned anything. And then they came into sex therapy because now she's postmenopausal. He's got some ED. And so intercourse is nearly impossible for them. And we can work a little bit on making that possible, but it's like, they were so appreciative. Like nobody told us it didn't have to be intercourse. It's like this permission, (laughs) like, wait, we can take that off the table and still just touch and caress and enjoy and even have an orgasm. I mean, you know, it's like, there's still so much left, but they were so focused on how it used to work and we can't do that anymore. It felt like, you know, it's all or nothing. And so it's just, I love those moments where people are like, wait, you mean all the rest of that counts? It's like, yeah. The things that they don't teach us in our eighth grade. Right. (laughs) No, don't even get me started on sex. (laughs) What's one clinical pearl that you'd like to share with us today? A clinical pearl. I guess I'll reiterate what I think the most important message is, which is if you really understand this, you can't fail at sex. It really is just about pleasure and connection. And I guess communication. And so make it play, make it fun, make it open-ended. Stop thinking that it has to be a certain thing, has to go a certain way. You got to feel a certain thing. Somebody has to do a certain thing. I like that. I always like to ask my clinicians to tell us a successful story that you've had, one of your favorites. Let's see. I mean, this older couple had come to mind, but here's another one. I was working with a couple where the woman had been faking orgasms all along. And this is back when I still saw individuals a little bit. At this point, I only work with couples. So she had told me this individually and she was willing to go home and tell her husband this. And then they came to see me as a couple And he treated it like, how sad that you had to do that. And let's start over. Like like right then? Yeah. Like how sad that you felt that kind of pressure and would just pretend and 
you know, never had the space to really explore what you needed. And instead of taking it personally, like you've been lying to me or been misleading me, or I'm not good enough, or, you know, any of that, it was so lovely. And so I said, let's just start over and take all the pressure off and let's explore with each other. And so they were able to walk into the exercises that I give and different things and like totally treat that as like permission to like, let's just explore and figure out what works for us. And they did. Cool. All right. One more, just because I like these stories. <laughs> I'm not, I, mean, I just don't live in this world. You live in the. I yeah. 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 Stories, okay. So. so the other kind of story that happens all the time is people come in and one person is not feeling desire and they feel broken and they feel like they're the problem. And if they could just want sex, everything would be fine. You know, often the partner also thinks this. Like this lower desire person is the one with the problem. Uh, But going over all these concepts and understanding reactive desire and then approaching this with that playfulness and openness. And let's just see if there's room to get in the mood. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, I I give this exercise with a non-demand sort of touch and no expectations of having to become sexual or aroused or anything. It's like, wow, we're feeling connected like we haven't in years. You know, we're spending time with each other. And this is just so amazing whether it turns into sex or not. And so they'll just report like so much more sense of closeness and this ripple effect. And then mainly, it's hard for anyone to articulate this, but the relief, the release of this burden of fear and worry. Because when your sex life isn't working, when you're suspecting I'm broken or I'm inadequate or what's going to happen in my relationship? Are they going to leave me? All, All this, it's so heavy. And so to see this burden sort of come off of people, you know, it's a huge weight that's gone. I love that. Yeah. No matter what age. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, I see people from, I don't know, my youngest clients were probably 22 and my oldest are 80 and it's all, I mean, people have different issues at different ages, but there's so many similarities too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you think you could use some help, any of us can, we can always (laughs) enjoy a better sex life. Go to intimacywithease.com backslash masterclass. Check out her free training. Thank you, Jessa, for joining us today. And keep sharing the message. It needs to be listened to. Well, thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. In fact, this podcast has become one of my favorite things to do in my business. Why? Because I learn as much as you do. If you've learned anything or felt empowered and had answers come from any episode of this podcast, please share it with a friend. And if you go into whatever listening app you listen to, give it a review that helps other people find it. I would like to thank you for that review. Go over to drkylieburton.com backslash crack your thyroid code and get my free 60-minute thyroid workshop on me. Thank you for leaving a review. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing it with a friend. I'll see you on the next one.